What is up, world, and welcome to the What You Got podcast, where we talk topics A to Z and everything in between. I am Jordan Palmer, joined, as always, by Mr. Charlie Bud, and today, <laughs> we got a little throwback, kind of, in terms of, if you ever read the, the story of Macbeth by the bard himself, William Shakespeare, back in 10th grade, they have now created a movie, The Tragedy of Macbeth, starring one Mr. Denzel Washington. And so this week, we are discussing all of the lovely intricacies of this film. Bud, I don't know how you feel about the bard or how you felt about the film. I know you just saw it as I just saw it today, too. So we've had a few hours to process. I'm curious, Bud, I don't even know where you want to start. So with that, I'm going to pass it to you. What you got? Well, Lauren, I think the perfect place to start with uh, this, you know, iteration of Macbeth is to kind of just like talk about what we thought of, you know, how Joel Cohen adapted the famous Shakespearean play from, you know, the visuals, the set design, art direction, all that stuff. And uh, because everybody knows, I feel like most people will know the story of Macbeth. You know, they're not breaking ground here in terms of innovating on a story. You know, it was pretty much the exact retelling of Macbeth. I don't. From what I remember, I mean, I haven't read Macbeth in a long time, but from what I understand, it was pretty like they just took the freaking script of Macbeth and like that was it, right? Like it was it was just the movie. Um, but anyways, so let's talk first, I think, about the visuals, the, the art direction. This movie was very interestingly kind of, uh, I thought like the cinematography and like the art direction was really interesting. I really liked it. Um, I don't know about you. But I liked kind of like the black and white uh, decision there. I liked the set pieces where it kind of had like this. Um, I don't know really the best way to like describe it, but it wasn't like uh, like on location, I guess. Like the set seemed like it was built. It was like propped up. It kind of had like this haziness to it. It like almost felt fantastical in a sense. Um, like it had like that element of fantasy, uh, which I liked. Uh, um and just the entire, I felt like this iteration of it, uh, as I said, I'm not like somebody who's super familiar with other iterations of Macbeth or whatever, but I thought this iteration was really kind of like a, almost like a horror movie in a sense. Like it had those kind of like really darker, sinister vibes, especially with like the witches. I thought they took a, like a very, very like darker turn to it. Um, just like overall, I mean, that was definitely an aspect of it, but just like the way that the shots were the set pieces were it had like this kind of cold uh you know heart at the center of the movie but what were your thoughts i gotta agree with you there bud i was so i hadn't seen many of the trailers or as usual i went mm -hmm. blind yeah and so like yourself i was kind of fascinated because it did have this pop-up element to it so they go through a number of hallways and they go through some of the crevices of, I guess, mm. what was supposed to be the castle. But you could clearly tell it wasn't some built up elaborate. Like yeah. When, in Harry Potter, when they're in Hogwarts, you're like, okay, I think they're yeah. actually in something. Mm -hmm. It's a castle. But no, I think the simplicity of it added a, a huge degree because this wasn't some over the top, you know, crazy special effects. This was very much just based in this idea, I want to say, of we don't offer a lot, but we allow more to go on in your head within the theater of the mind. And mm. I think that really worked for them specifically around, as you mentioned, the witches. So that opening scene was pretty, cause there was just one witch, but then she was speaking from the perspective of all three. It was just constantly changing the camera angle. And then she would 
you know, answer the question that the other had asked or follow through. And so I thought that was really good in terms of getting somebody disoriented initially. And you ask yourself, what am I watching right now? And that from the jump established what the rest of the movie was going to be like. So I did appreciate that. And on top of that, an element of the production that I found particularly fascinating was the sound. Kind of in the same vein as Dune with the silence to, you know, crazy crashes. So I had, I saw this in theaters and I bought a popcorn and there was five of us in the theater. And so I walk in thinking nothing, you know, is going to be all good. And then I start eating the popcorn and the movie is so quiet and I just have to slowly chew every individual bite. Oh, yeah. It's just, just like dead so silence. Yeah. It's just so many dead space. And then something, some crash would happen and I'd start doing it like a normal mm. human being again. And it was just, but I liked that too because it really helped to hammer home what the most important moments were within just, mm-hmm. especially the, the initial part of the film, but as it went on too. Yeah. And, and like, around that. And I mean, like, yeah, jumping off that, like, sound uh, aspect, like, I think the entire sound design was really good. I think, like, the score, like, the music that was kind of accompanied was also really, like, simplistic, but it had that, like, underlying, like, horror kind of, like, tone. Like, I'm driving home this horror theme because it really felt like that with, like, from the cinematography to, like, the pop-up set set pieces to the like the simple design to like the very like visual metaphors about like you know i see a forest moving or when he sees like uh, is a a dagger that stands before me and it's like the dagger is the handle to the door to the king's room i thought like it's just i think it all kind of comes into like this like very very like um darker take because when you see like plays of Macbeth, like it it has like this lighter mood in a sense like it's hard to kind of like capture. I think Macbeth almost in a way is, was almost meant for like a cinema, like a, to be a film, like, cause I don't think a play or like an in-person like play could really capture that the, the vibe that Joel Cohen was able to like portray on the screen here for Macbeth. And I thought it worked wonderfully. I agree with you there. I thought that it's interesting because normally within an adapted play to mm-hmm. a film, Essentially, you're only covering three spaces, maybe, maybe four. You add in a couple more, and mm-hmm. you can feel that it was originally a play, just you know, put to to put the film. But in this particular scenario, because they jump around, they go from one country to another. It was so much more believable, so that kind of helped to create, I guess, this underlying sense of authenticity as you watch the film. So I I appreciated that as well. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious to ask you this because. I haven't read this since 10th grade in, in terms of high school. And then I haven't really looked at Shakespeare since high school. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what did you think about just trying to get into the whole mindset of, let me try to understand what these people are saying. I mean, that was definitely hard uh, because yeah, I haven't read Shakespeare since maybe like 10th grade in high school. Um, it was hard to like kind of, follow along (laughs) at certain points like i um i won't lie like shakespeare to the ear didn't have subtitles on you told me that your theater had subtitles on during the movie and i now kind of regret that i didn't put subtitles on because i think that probably would have been helpful i was following along as best as i could without it like sure i definitely probably missed certain things like i definitely didn't really catch when they kind of turned on macbeth (laughs) not gonna lie i just didn't really catch when somebody figured it out 
kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, like it's, uh, it was definitely, it's a challenge. I mean, like Shakespeare to the ear in these, these times is, um, not, not, not easy. (laughs) Unless like you're somebody who reads Shakespeare all the time or recently just read Shakespeare, uh, you probably will have an easier time because it definitely takes. I remember, you know, back in high school reading Shakespeare, like you just kind of get used to it and you kind of like really figure out what they're saying. Like over time, like it's just something you, you know, you just dive into it. You know, at first you're like, I don't know what they're saying. It's just it's just like a bunch of, you know, words vomited on a page. And I'm just trying to like keep up. But uh, then, you know, but like after, you know, I remember we read we had to read like four different back-to-back stories of Shakespeare. Um, and so, like, by the end of it, you know, like, when you're on the third or fourth story, you're like, okay, it all makes sense. Like, I'm kind of following along now. I understand what's happening. It makes sense. Yada, yada. But, like, it's been 12 years since I've read Shakespeare. So, listening to it, not even reading it, not even having the ability to kind of see words to a page, just, like, having actors espouse their lines kind of in a very fluid motions you know, because they're acting it out, it, it is hard to kind of keep up with it. But what did you think? Because I didn't watch it with subtitles. What were your thoughts? Did the subtitles help? How did they help? How was it just kind of interpreting everything that was going on in the movie? Okay, so I'll say did have subtitles, and those were super clutch because not only did they actually list out what the person was saying, they gave the name of the person who was speaking. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you would forget, like, oh, this is Macduff, 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 this Macduff. is Macbeth. Yeah, this is Fleance talking. And so it helped for me to, it was almost like the beginning of Game of Thrones when you have no idea who anybody is and you're mm-hmm. still just kind of getting it adjusted to the world. So that's kind of what I had. So I was super grateful for that. Luckily for me, I think I just retained a good bit of understanding Shakespeare. So I did know what they were talking. And I actually surprised myself. In terms of, I remembered some of the things that happened in this this uh this play here. So I was like, oh, good job, Jordan. High five. But uh, no, it was super interesting to see modern day actors take this on. I know for many who are classically trained, they will. I know that you know, for example, Denzel Washington did do a series of plays like this back when he was in school and whatnot. But it's still fascinating to see these people embody. These parts, I know that especially when you're younger, you might play maybe like a Hamlet. And then as you get older, like maybe maybe a Macbeth, maybe more like a King Lear. Mm -hmm. And so they had to actually take on these roles. I feel like they were slightly older than they were in the play, but it was still fascinating to see how they not only acted it out, but the certain subtleties of the lines that they gave meaning or for example, example uh, Frances McDormand, when she was sleepwalking, and she's Lady Macbeth, for those of you who have not yet seen the film. Um, and then she acts like she's holding a baby. So that was mm-hmm. so... But she... It wasn't exaggerated. It was maybe more than you would expect from a normal person, but it was perfect in terms of encapsulating what I think the character, the choice the character would have made. So it was fascinating to see them kind of mm-hmm. do that. I'm curious, did you... For you, were there any performances that stood out? Francis McDormand, uh, Francis McDormand, I think, stole kind of the show. I think she was really excellent as Lady Macbeth during the entire movie. Um, I also really like Denzel's performance, um, but I do think Francis McDormand was kind of like, you know, 
the star in this movie. She was fantastic as Lady Macbeth. What, what about you? No, that's fair. That's fair. And it helps that you know her husband uh, was directing, yeah, the, you know, the, so the director. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. um, but no, she did. Inc- and a crazy thing, I thought she was also playing the role of the witches as well. Initially, oh, really? I wasn't sure if they. I thought that they made her. It wasn't her. But I was like, if she's doing that too, like there is nothing keeping her from getting this Oscar right now. But uh, no, I thought she did an incredible job. And uh, it's funny seeing Denzel in that role too, because it's fascinating too, the kind of uh, colorblind casting that they utilized within it this time around. Mm-hmm. And uh, just seeing, I mean, they never even made mention of it, but it's just kind of cool because you don't necessarily associate them playing together as Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. So I really appreciated mm-hmm. that. And I did like the over, I don't know, overpowering, isn't it? Denzel played a powerful, yet you could tell human uh, individual, oh, especially I mean, when I mean, they're talking about. Not to diminish, like, you know, Denzel's performance in this movie. He, he you know, was an excellent playing kind of like the ruined, like, <laughs> you know, king in a sense. Like the, 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 the ruined tyrant, the suffering, like the psychological like frenzy that he kind of falls into. I thought he played really well um, throughout the movie and like. Uh, he was excellent. I just thought the entire time, the like, you know, his descent Agreed. was really well portrayed. And that's the thing: if he didn't descend well, you wouldn't necessarily believe what was happening at the end. Mm-hmm. But I thought he played the descent beautifully, and I thought that um, McDuff, played by Corey Hawkins, did a good job of. He didn't have a big role, but being able to, within the time he had, be that opposite of mm-hmm. Macbeth, I thought that was very well done. So they were yeah. going to play off of each other. Mm-hmm. For sure. So those were my my picks there. But everybody, I mean, even <laughs> Malcolm, even Fleance, they all they all kind of did a, an awesome job. <laughs> Fleance doesn't have yeah. like a line in that movie, man. Like I don't even think the I guy needed is... him to be better at hiding. I was like, either commit to running or commit to hiding well. All right. Yes, but he lived. He lived. Yeah. Sorry, spoilers, but close. like if you don't know the story of Macbeth after all this time, like I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it's been a couple hundred years. I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think this is one we need to necessarily throw yeah. up uh, a spoiler alert mm-hmm. for. Um, yeah, but who are you? Who are you rooting for? Like, were you rooting for Macbeth to just somehow keep it going? Or were oh, you no, I mean, of up? course not. I've known the story of Macbeth for so long. Like, you just don't root for him or Lady Macbeth the entire time. I mean, they're just power-hungry people. Like, immediately, you know, they hear prophecy, and then they're uh, they're like, "We gotta kill the king." That's what we gotta do. One thing I was confused about was they never talked about why they couldn't have an heir. They just didn't. No, I actually have think you know, I was reading like uh, a review, and I thought this was a pretty good observation by the reviewer who wrote this. Is that like? Um, cause Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand are like in their sixties. So like, I think it, it's kind of like a really good visual, like representation of like, you know, that, um, a, a, a reason that they could, I don't think it ever really explains why they can't have one. They just can't produce an heir and like their old age, you know, they look great for their age, mind you, but they're, they are still like in their sixties, you know, long past, you know, childbearing age. And I think that was kind of like a good visual cue that like, you know, it's, or a visual metaphor of, you know, the kind of the, the tragedy, or if you want to call it that, like that befalls them that they can't have a kid or anything like that. So 
Also, I'm just thinking about this now, but he te Macbeth technically was not king. And not to say that Thane doesn't deserve an heir, but it's probably less... Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure, like, that is, you know... You know, a Thane gets an heir. I don't know how it kind of that works. <laughs> I'm not super familiar with Scottish or uh, English. I don't even know. I know it's the King of Scotland, but like, I don't know how. Whatever. I don't know how Thanedoms work or whatever you call them. I, I don't know if that gets inherited by somebody. Like, I know that it's like it seems like to be appointed by the king because he gets it for a ward for killing uh, a rebellion, a rebellion against King Duncan, which is ironic. Shakespeare loves irony. Um, so, <laughs> but what do you? Uh, I had a question. Um, I have a question. For okay, you. go ahead. Okay, so we were just talking about reality last week, but I'm curious to ask this question because it re will require us to kind of unpack what a paradox is mm -hmm. and then go from there. But in terms of the prophecy given to Macbeth by the witches saying that he will become the king, do you think had he not heard that, that he would have become king? Or do you think no. that that was... I don't okay. think he would have. I don't. I, I don't think he would have. I think that whole thing sets that in motion, um, because the reason that he, or rather, Lady Macbeth plots to kill uh, the king is because um, doesn't he give like the king is giving it to his son or whatever, and uh, before he could do that, essentially, he you know he finds out and he like lady macbeth is like well we're prophesized that means like you know we're not going to be able to get it so we have to do something um and they plot to kill the king so i think if he never heard that prophecy like he'd probably be perfectly fine with being the thane so with that being said are the witches the villains of this story um or is Macbeth? You know, in a way, maybe they are. Because I feel like he's haunted by them, like, kind of uh, throughout the, the, the play. Um, and there's probably people, like, who are Macbeth experts being, like, actually, uh, I'm just going to completely dismantle my argument, but <laughs> the, mm, <laughs> the, the, the adjusted glasses. But I, it's because he's like he's haunted by them, and then like he has. I don't. I wasn't really fully aware of what was happening when they were like in the castle, and the water was rising, and like he was seeing those faces in the water. Um, that's something I'm had to would literally need to like read in the the play to like kind of comprehend that a little bit better. Um, but he also just has like these like the crows, right? Aren't they like? the witches kind of like turn into crows. Like that was kind of established at the beginning. And like, he sees a crow or a bird flying through his castle. And like, he sees somebody forget who like walking there, but he's not actually there. And I think like in a way that the crows are kind of responsible or the witches rather are like responsible for his downfall and stuff like that, because they are tormenting him. And I think a psychological aspect, both him and lady Macbeth eventually um, kind of, you know, they kind of they the uh, so chaos in a sense. But what are your thoughts there? Like, what do you what do you think? Okay, so I think before actually I answer that question. Mm -hmm. So if this were a trial, then you would accept Macbeth's insanity plea, and you would find the <laughs> which is guilty. Well, I think 
No, because I don't think he was. I think his insanity came at the cost of committing. Like I think he was fully sane when he made that decision. Um, whether or not like Lady Macbeth was twisted to do the because is her idea, and he kind of feigns at the idea before like she talks him into it like be brave you know stand up for yourself you know go and do this act so he eventually does um and then lady Macbeth, uh but he's the one who like starts suffering like and at first i think most people will probably assume uh that uh, like it's guilt that drives that like the descent into like pure madness um and i think that is definitely a big part of it but and I, but I also think it's the, like the psychological torture that the like the, whatever the witches do, or like the visions that they show him, and then they they appear in the castle, and um, at the same time, but at the same time, I don't think that he like becomes insane after upon meeting them. I think he was always kind of like this evil person at the his heart, and he they just pushed him a little over the edge by like giving him a taste of what he could have. And Lady Macbeth as well also kind of pushes them along that lot that way because at the end of the day they're like they're greedy they're power hungry and the inevitable consequence if like the witches are like you know the the sowers of chaos like they you know they giveth and taketh the way in a sense so like they give you the kingdom but at the cost you will lose your mind and your sanity so you explain that so beautifully there bud and that's pretty much why i would say that macbeth is the villain mm-hmm. and that the witches not are innocent but not necessarily as culpable as one might think i think that just under the surface it was always there and i think had he not run into them it might not necessarily have transpired exactly as it did i think that he still would have made a play for power mm-hmm. against king duncan and he still would have become king yeah which is ironic because like he is the one who quells a rebellion against duncan and then gets a reward from duncan and how does he repay him by slitting his throat throat. (laughs) yeah dude that was like yeah I love the whole like sound design of that scene after he like uh, kills the king and like the blood pouring from his finger and it's just like this thunderous like bang onto the ground and like he kind of hears that throughout the castle as well and like it's just so well with design so so good so good yeah that was that was classy that mm-hmm. was classy i did like some of i think what they said was that an earthquake had actually taken place that evening and they said it was just a, a foul night or i forget the exact adjective they used but it's just a little bit of foreshadowing as mm-hmm. to you know what went down, mm-hmm. and then of course Macduff walks upstairs and he sees Duncan dead. Duncan oh, is man. dead, and yes. then like Macbeth immediately kills like the two people, which I would have thought was like incredibly suspicious. Like <laughs> I would have been like, well, I don't know about that. I don't know about we killed them rather quickly. We could have asked them could some ask questions. Them questions. But. No. And I think what he did after he had that little monologue, and he was saying that he was just so emotional about the loss of Duncan that he had to kill them. Like He, he said, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't do anything but that. Oh, man. So that was... yeah. That But he kind of graphically killed them. I, I just said, jeez. 
<laughs> and then it was classy how, how Lady Macbeth just faints. Yeah. And immediately nobody questions it. Everybody's like, okay, like, okay, he's okay. He's like, they couldn't have been a part of it. Look at how, you know, how visceral her reaction is. So. Find you someone like that who will scream and faint. And they immediately thought it was like the. Well, they thought it was the chambermen or whatever, but I think they thought the sons did it as well, or like they hired the chambermen to do it. Or something like that, because they fled the country or something like that. But I can't. That was another thing. I couldn't remember why they fled the country. I think they fled the country because they knew that it likely was not. They they suspected Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. Mm-hmm. So they said, "If we stay here, they're going to kill us too, so they can get the." Uh, yeah, that's fair. That's. I figured them. that's what it kind of like had to be, and then, you know, one of them dies anyway. So. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, what are you what are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of just killing of innocence in yeah. this. And so from that scene, you see eventually Macbeth gets confronted by the witches again. They tell him that he needs to be worried about Macduff and then of, of a man not born from a woman. Yeah. And what does he do? He proceeds to kill the entirety of the Macduff. Duff family. family. And the thing that really struck me was the fact that McDuff's wife's cousin saw them not even five minutes before. He said, eh, mm-hmm. okay, I'll see you later. And then just pieces out, doesn't warn him or anything. Yeah. That was kind of crazy. What did you think of that whole sequence? I thought it was weird because at that point I was like, okay, I'm kind of following what's happening right now. But I, I couldn't tell what side that guy was on. Uh, I, I was I was a little confused. I'm like, whose side are you on? Because you literally helped those two assassins kill the one of the king's Leon's sons. Father. Or yeah, the, yeah, the father. And then you let the boy live, and you you keep him with the old man, and then like he joins Macduff later on. So I was a little confused as to like why I'm like, am I missing something? Did I like miss here or miss a part? Like I was a little confused there for sure. That was the one thing that I too had no idea because at first I thought he was aligned with Macbeth. So Same. I said, okay, he's definitely just going to kill everybody. Fleons and Banquo. Mm-hmm. And then I said, but the, the prophecy does say that Fleons is supposed to live. So I thought either Banquo had another kid somewhere else or he mm-hmm. was actually good. But then he was the cousin of Macduff's wife, and so he war- kind of warned them, but just stops in. And then he goes to Macduff and tells him about what happened, and he's kind of emotional. Yeah. I said, Who- whose side are you on, Whose dude? side are you on, man? I, I couldn't, couldn't figure that out. I was, I was like, I was trying to, like, look it up, and I didn't really get to read through all of Macbeth <laughs> to um, <laughs> get to that part where that happens. And I was like, I don't understand what's going on here um one other thing i didn't quite understand once again i can't say spoiler alert because once again it's been around for a couple hundred years mm -hmm. lady macbeth she dies yes did she fall down the stairs did she jump down the stairs i also just couldn't tell that guy just straight up pushed her down the stairs like because he was walking towards her and then next thing we hear is that she's dead in that bottom of the stairs, and that guy's nowhere to be seen, and he goes and gets a uh, fleance. So, you know, I don't know. Our old friend, old mystery man himself, 
jeez. Yeah, no. So that, His name's I like just, Ross or something. I th- okay, yeah, Ross, because I was like, it's uh, kind of a modern day name. It's a very so. modern name. Everyone <laughs> else does not have a modern name, but Ross does. Duncan does, I guess. I, I guess Duncan too, does, yeah. But yeah, McDuff, Macbeth, Macbeth. Banquo, and Ross. Fleance. 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 It's like um, Dumbledore's names are, <laughs> I can do this, Dumbledore's names. Oh, like Albus, you mean? It's Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. Brian? <laughs> Brian. Oh, Brian? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's just like one of those random ones. I was like, how do you go from Percival Wolfric to then Brian? I always thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, Ross was a mystery man to me. What did you think of Macduff, too, just as a character? Wait, sorry, repeat that? Oh, what did you think of Macduff as a character? Um, I think he's like a noble. I mean, like he's just seems like noble, kind of like the hero-ish of the story, I guess. Like, you know, like uh, you know, definitely a tragic hero because his entire family's just murdered. But um, at the same time, he seems like he he lands the killing blow on Macbeth. He seems to rally the troops to move the woods uh, closer to uh, Macbeth's castle. Like, you know, he seems to be kind of like the the catalyst that kind of really starts that rebellion. Because I think Macbeth at that point is really like a tyrant. You know, he's just going around straight up killing people, yeeting people off cliffs. Not actually, murdering. but murdering. And, uh. You know, he's just like, he's a rallying cry, I think, for people who are, like, fed up with uh, his reign of terror and, you know, march on his castle. Hmm. And then, you know, what did you think beheads of... him. Oh, yeah. He does uh, say hello to Macbeth's neck with his sword. Yeah. But um, <laughs> what did you think of the fact that he just left his family? And he had a bunch of kids. They called them babes in the movie. For those of you who didn't see it, yeah, I um, I don't know. I didn't think he, yeah, he just left his family behind in Scotland and just moves off to England. Like, what did you think was gonna happen, dude? Like, come on, have some foresight. Like, you're obviously your family is gonna get yeeted. You know, like they're just gonna get killed. Yeeted <laughs> uh, our new word for killed. <laughs> yeah, yeeted is the new word. It's. I mean, they literally took his. His son, his wife was. They literally took his son and like kicked him, like threw him into fire. Straight up, Leonidas, this is Sparta. (laughs) (laughs) Into the fires below. Yeah. Crazy. I thought that was a little selfish for sure. Like, why don't you like take your family with you? Why don't you flee the country with your family? Like, why uh, are they still there? Maybe there was like, you know, some off screen thing because she talks about how like her, you know, how he's a traitor, right? You know, and then, you know, doesn't really work because they killed her anyway or killed his family anyway, so. She really got the, the wrong end of that one. Yeah. That's uh, so tragic, so tragic. Truly. But I guess this is a tragedy. and it's, It is a tragedy. I'm pretty sure it's uh, Shakespeare's shortest tragedy, too. Fun facts. Yeah, that I think it might be, even though the movie was like almost two hours long, but. Was it? It kind of like it felt like it, it wasn't flew that by. Long. I'll say yeah, it. It yeah. is two hours. It's like an hour and forty-five minutes. I think is the runtime. 
Okay. So uh, it does feel like it goes by quickly because there's a lot of moving parts, I guess. But it is still an hour and 45 minutes. But like I don't know. It did also fly by. I thought it flew by. It just kind of it just kept moving. Like the story just kept moving forward at like breakneck pace somehow, and it it didn't feel like that long of a movie, um, even though it was nearly two hours long. At all, that's I give it as a credit to the to the team put that together because yeah. I didn't it didn't feel like it was rushed. I was just like, okay, we're just picking it up. Yeah, know? it didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel dragged out. It felt like good pacing. Absolutely, genuine good pacing. Here's a question. So typically around Macbeth. It's known as like the cursed play. I think this dates back to Shakespeare in that he consult he was really into trying to make sure that the witchcraft was like legit for this. And so I think he consulted some witches and they I gave can. him actual enchantments and he actually used them, though they said don't. And so it's said that they cursed the play. Mm. And so ever since then, bad things have happened. They say that the first showing of this the woman playing Lady Macbeth died and Whoa. Shakespeare had to step in and play Lady Macbeth. And then I know that people have been in car accidents who were supposed to be one guy negatively reviewed, but he was in a car accident. And then unfortunately people have died while producing it. There were knives that were used. that were supposed to be prop knives that ended up somehow being real. Do you think this is a cursed play and or production? Well, I didn't know about any of this. Um, little history on Shakespeare, but I, I had no idea. I didn't know. Uh, I, I, from what you're telling me, it does sound pretty cursed. It, it, it <laughs> sounds pretty cursed to me. So glad I can make you a believer. Yeah, it sounds pretty awful, and I hope nothing happens to the current production of the uh, Cohen, Joel Cohen's movie. I almost said Cohen Brothers, but that's actually not, um, the brothers this time. But you know, yes. Uh. I hope nothing happens to, you know, everybody involved. I hope everybody lives a safe life. And I'm glad there was no accidents, you know? Yes, yeah, th that we know of. That we know <laughs> of. I mean, the entire movie was apparently shot on a soundstage, so. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, like, they built all those sets that you saw in the movie. And Jeez. it was, like, inside in an L.A. soundstage. Inside? I was wondering where they would, like, in terms of, I wasn't sure if it was... New York or mm -hmm. L.A. or if they just found some mm. happy in between. But that's that's good to know. I did like, like once again, I did like the set. Especially, I mean, the, the moment when Fleance is fleeing. Mm. First off, I just needed that. Ah, just, just go back. I needed it to be so much faster. Either yeah. faster or hide better. You have two jobs. Your dad just got mur yeeted. Literally yeeted. <laughs> <laughs> And you need to carry on the name. So he just had no sense of urgency. Mm. But uh, I did like that because it showed it from the reverse direction. So you're looking kind of towards the castle and, I guess, Ross. Mm. And so he just, he just like, literally, he just lays down. I'm not even, that's not, no exaggeration. Well, lays like, down. Just just, laid down. I'm ready to die, I guess. Yep. It's <laughs> like, okay. Lucky <laughs> for him that didn't happen. Yeah, if it had been anybody else. Yeeted. Yeeted. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, no, this, uh, <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed the flick. I am not, I wouldn't say a huge, huge Shakespeare person. I'm also like, not big on Shakespeare, but. See, the bar to me just, I don't know. And I remember watching in eighth grade, 
throwback. We had to watch Romeo and Juliet in 1968, the 1968 version, and I actually did enjoy that. So that was the last. I, I like that one too. Oh, you know it? Yeah, that's like the Romeo and Juliet movie. I think like my school at least showed. Perfect. I'm glad that's the universal one. Okay, that is yeah, the universal so I one. Mm-hmm. We also watched the uh, Merchant of Venice. Oh, what? We just got that one, and then that was it. Oh, really? We watched Merchant of Venice. But that was in eighth grade we watched Merchant of Venice. I don't even know if we ever read Merchant of Venice anywhere in middle or high school. That's the, I think that was the very first Shakespeare play that we read in my school curriculum was Merchant of Venice in eighth grade. Wow. And Romeo and Juliet was like 10th grade, I think. Really? I think so. Maybe it was ninth. I, I, I don't remember. Ninth grade was a lot of like dystopian novels for me. Like we read um, Animal Farm, nineteen eighty four. Uh, great! I love nineteen eighty four. I will say I but. never actually read that one. Really? Yeah. You, you guys didn't study it in high school. It's weird. Half of the class did. The other half didn't. <laughs> that's so odd. I feel like that's I actually know. a pivotal book to read. Dude, um, yeah. Not not to not to crap on Maryland school systems. You guys do a decent <laughs> job. But. Maybe we can improve that reading list a little bit. Yeah, I feel like 1984 is a pretty important book, you know, to read. Or anything by George Orwell, really. Like, Animal Farm is also just as good. So We read that one. We did read that you know. one. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And I'm trying to think. About, but I'm curious because you bring up the, the topic of school curriculums. Do you think in this day and age that it's necessary to harp on Shakespeare as much as we do? I don't know. Um, you know, I don't really know, like, why he studied so much. Uh, I think he, uh, like, did he really make that huge of an impact? And is he that much of an influence on the English world? And also there's, like, a theory that it's not one person. It's, like, there's a theory that it's, like, 12 or 13 or something. It's, like, a collective group of people who called, like, wrote under the pen name as William Shakespeare. Because we literally... It's like we know more about like characters, like people from like way further in the past than we do about Shane. We know nothing about him. There's like no info on him, which just kind of like leads to the belief that it was written by multiple people. And I think there's a little bit more weight to that theory other than like, oh, we know nothing about Shakespeare. So therefore it has to be like multiple people. But it's also just like I think people pointed out like certain writing styles or just like different play to play or something like that. So, um. Yeah, I was doing some research on him not too long ago for trivia purposes. Mm-hmm. And uh, what a life. What a... There were some question marks from time to time, but mm-hmm. I know that that's one of the prevailing theories. And that would make a lot of sense that it wasn't just one person. It was multiple people. But I always thought it was interesting that he's... Obviously, we live, we live in the United States. But so he's from England. And obviously, he's influenced the, I guess... English language, but at the same time, there are a lot of writers who are from the U.S. Like who just kind of came up that we never really explored. Like, like we read, what was it, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn? Not yeah. to say we need to read Mark Twain, but that was you could kind of read that. You didn't have to, but there was I think there was an opportunity to kind of incorporate just some more, I guess, historically significant authors within the scope of the United States too. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, do you think it's important for people to read Shakespeare? Personally, I cannot say I've ever truly thought I benefited from reading Shakespeare. I think it's 
Because also a lot of the references in are made in pop culture to Shakespeare. So it's not even as if you need to read that. And it's there. It was a different time in terms of mm-hmm. comedies and tragedies. And I can respect it for its historical context. But in this day and age, I feel like our problems have evolved a little bit. Stories have evolved a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think it's unless you're trying to be a classically trained individual, yeah. it might behoove you to maybe just not study that quite as much. I would probably, I you know, putting it like that, like, yeah, I think the curriculum that schools teach probably does need to evolve. I think there are always authors, like, like there are always important, important books. I think people should always read. I would always, and I, one of those, as I've already mentioned is 1984. I think that is like probably one of like, well, George Orwell in general, but like his most you know known book is probably 1984. I think that's probably one of the most important books to read, probably like in high school. Um, I think it's just it's super pivotal. Uh, uh, maybe that and like Fahrenheit 451, another like another because I think those books you can definitely point to like they are dystopian futures that very much could happen in that like you know the 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 path the steps to get there like you know happen uh often in reality um so like they're like really good books that portraying like the dangers of uh like fascism essentially um so i think they're important and i think those should always be taught but like things like shakespeare i think yeah i think the curriculum also you know, as you mentioned, probably needs to evolve to kind of, you know, match the times that we're living in because I think uh, there's probably hundreds, thousands of authors who probably have stories that could, you know, provide a commentary, you know, written, whether it was written now or 50, 100 years ago that, like, you know, are pertinent to whatever is happening in, like, society as as we know it uh, today. Like, Shakespeare... Um, I think would be, definitely is like beneficial to people who like want to study like I think English literature to uh, a greater degree like maybe in college for sure if you're studying English in college yeah you should probably study Shakespeare at some point um, but like in high school I think it should always kind of be like evolving with like certain authors like cornerstones to be kind of keep it grounded in a sense where like okay we will always cover this but the curriculum should like i don't know change but i don't know i haven't been in high school english class in years so i don't know what they're being taught yeah (laughs) what if they did evolve and we're just we're just just, like crapping on it um (laughs) sorry maryland school (laughs) (laughs) sorry new jersey school systems i don't know i don't know what they're reading right now i don't i don't even remember really what um do you remember what you read in like senior year of uh, english in high school <laughs> the word read is very strong in this context because <laughs> i didn't exactly read these things uh spark notes is an incredible tool <laughs> so uh what did we read i guess the stranger i read uh oh, that sounds World. familiar that also sounds familiar um, i read no exits oh, nope. i read king lear Definitely didn't read. I don't think I read. I don't think I read that. I read uh, "Once Over the Cuckoo's Nest," uh, yeah, which is actually that's, that. a, that's actually a decent one. That's good. Didn't I didn't finish it, but uh, I got halfway. Through <laughs> in college. I remember we watched the movie for "One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest" after we read the book. 
Dude, our, our teachers refused because they were like, it's so different from a book. We only saw the end scene. I was like, well, great. Thank you. I remember reading a lot of like um, Holocaust survivor books. We read Angela's Ashes. That mm-hmm. wasn't a Holocaust book, but it was also kind of sad about the, uh, the Irish potato famine by um. Frank McCourt. And then we read, which oh, I'm sorry, Frank, I didn't read that one either. And then the kite runner. I actually did read that one. I did read that one. Oh, the kite runner. I I actually read that for fun. Like I picked that up as like a for fun read, um, back in the day. Those books. I mean, it's just so. It's like so sad. Like yeah. it just brings me down. I I can't. I those books are sad. And then I also read the yeah. the the other book by that author, which oh. was a college book that I had to read, but. I read it already, so I because I, I liked the Kite Runner so much that I went and bought the like something a thousand something suns or something yeah, like that. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. I can't remember the title exactly, but I read that. And then freshman year English class, I had to read it. So. <laughs> <laughs> ah, how convenient! How convenient! A freshman year of college, I should I should add. For some reason, I forget why. Um, what, but, was that global or was that? Oh, that else? was global. We had to read that okay. book for global. Which was weird. I didn't understand that, but was like, I've read this book. <laughs> Perfect. So I didn't have to read it again. I just read Sparknotes to refresh myself on what happened. Sparknotes is a heck of a tool. Truly. It really is. It really is. Honestly, if you're a high school kid, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. If, that, if that's what makes life easier. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the high schoolers are reading these days. In fact, they probably don't even care that they're reading a book like Animal Farm. I certainly didn't feel like I appreciated those books when I was in ninth grade reading them. If you assign me to do something, I'm probably not going to like it. Especially like, I mean, I don't know. I was, I guess I was an honors, English honors Ooh. kid. Oh, Ooh, but I don't know if like, I mean, that was when I read 1984 and Animal Farm and like, I don't know, a 15 year old reading those books. Like, or how much are you really going to get out of that? Like, I didn't appreciate that book until years later. That's what they say about Catcher in the Rye. I did not like it when I read it in high school. I, I haven't liked read it, it since. I know. We're going to talk about that <laughs> I know. Most people, I don't think, like it. I Although, it's weird. A lot of people in my high school were like, that's my, that's my favorite book of all time. That's my favorite book of all time. I wouldn't say it's my favorite book of all time. I, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I <Yeah>. liked it. Um, <laughs> Let's, uh, let's calm that down. Yeah, let's calm that down. Let's, uh, let's set expectations here. Um, no, but it's it's so weird. The, and the books that you remember, the books that like just stay – like my favorite book of all time is To Kill a Mockingbird. And mm. I actually read that. I had to read that freshman year of high school, and I'm glad I did. We read that in eighth grade in my in my school system. Yeah. But it was we great. New Jersey kids are a year ahead of us. Yeah, we New Jersey kids were a year ahead. Oh my god! I mean, when did you? Yeah, did you? No. I mean, when did you read Animal Farm? Tenth grade. Ninth grade. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I feel like that's like the time to read it, but I also feel like it's a better time to probably introduce that book in like junior year or like senior year. Uh, but I don't know. I don't remember what I ever studied in senior year of English. Like I said, bro, I'm telling. That's why Spark Notes. Was strong. I think junior year was like. Dust Bowl, like reading Bro, we read, Steinbeck. And like, we read Grapes of Wrath, and I kid you not, did I read that 
No. Hell no. But <laughs> that book I, is a bit <laughs> of a snooze, I will say. I was reading it in the doctor's office, and I literally fell asleep. And I, it was like... Here's another book that's like the retelling of like Cain and Abel. I can't remember is what it is. Of Mice and Men? No, Of Mice and Men is an even... actual good book. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never read that. That's good to know. <laughs> of Mice oh, and Men's hey. like 100 pages. You can finish in like two yeah, hours. That's why I um, like Grapes of Wrath, of however. Is is, oh, yes. Of? East of Eden. It's, it felt like a retelling of freaking Cain and Abel, dude. Yeah, I saw the movie with <laughs> with James Dean. <laughs> There's a movie. Yeah, no. it's one of the three he's in. Oh, that damn guy in Rebel Without a Cause. I only know him from Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah, I got the bullets. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but, but nah, dude, it's what a time. What a time to be alive, but. <sighs> Any other thoughts on uh, <laughs> Tragedy Macbeth there? I don't know. I, I I I liked it. You know, I'm not even the biggest Shakespeare fan, but I like the direction that the that you know Joel Cohen kind of went with it. So yeah, uh, if you kind of if you like Shakespeare, if you are interested in you know the story of Macbeth, yeah, you know, I would definitely check it out. But uh, you know, I. You know, I think that Macbeth was almost always ready, like perfect for the cinema screen. I think this movie kind of cemented that idea. But what about yeah, you? Yeah, I have to agree with you. It was well done, well acted. Like you said, the pacing was good, and I I wasn't bored at any point in time. So I got to give it to them for that, especially because they kept the classic Shakespearean uh, prose. So I enjoyed it. I'd recommend it. I'd obviously, not watch it like tomorrow, but I'll watch no. it again one day. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> no, no. I think so. You know. Um. Alrighty. Well, any that's it. That's it. Yeah. Then uh, thanks so it. much for listening, everybody. <laughs> it's been the What You Got podcast. I'm your host Charlie Bud. Joined with me, as always, is the wonderful Jordan Palmer. You can catch our show every Monday evenings. Be sure to drop a follow wherever you're listening to our uh, podcast. Make sure you follow us on social media. Palmer, why don't you give them the social media? You can follow us on Twitter at WhatYouGotCast, which is spelled W-H-A-T-C-H-A, or on Instagram at WhatYouGotPodcast, which is spelled the same way. You can also find us on YouTube. Episodes are usually uploaded after the uh, audio recordings go out, but make sure you subscribe and ring that notification bell so when you know when new episodes are live, or if you prefer the visual method. Uh, promise to get better at the YouTube thing. I promise. Um, and... We'll see you, everyone, next week.